Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've probably heard those statements that attempt to classify everyone in the world into two different categories. The ones that begin with, there are two kinds of people in this world. And then what follows is a binary phrase that divides people up. Now, these can be somewhat serious and straightforward. Things like, well, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are morning birds and people who are night owls. Or, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who see the glass and say it's half empty, and people who say it's half full. But I like the ones that are the humorous types, the ones that have a little humor to them. Things like, well, there are two types of people in the world. People who stop to think, and people who have stopped thinking. Or, there are three kinds of people in the world. People who are good at math and people who aren't. <laughs> Letting that sink in for a moment there. Or my personal favorite, there are two kinds of people in the world. Green Bay Packers fans and those who wish they could be. <laughs> Just kidding. Somewhat. Now, the point is this. These statements divide the entirety of the human race into two different categories, and it's to make a stark contrast between the two and to make a point. And, and what we find in our gospel reading today, in all seriousness, is that Jesus is essentially doing just this. Now, our gospel reading shows us that there are two kinds of people in this world, people who are offended by what Jesus says, and people who believe that he has the words of eternal life. Now, it may sound strange to us at first that people would be offended by Jesus. After all, we so often think of Jesus in comforting ways, the one who encourages us in life, the one who picks us up when we are down, the, the shepherd who gently guides us and leads us. Probably most people in the world, even people across all sorts of religions, have some sort of positive view of Jesus. But you see, there's the, there's the kicker. It's the soft, likable Jesus who makes, us feel so, who makes us feel safe and comfortable, the one who doesn't challenge what we believe. You see, people won't be offended by Jesus as long as they are the ones who get to define who he is. But when we are confronted with the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, the one who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, the Jesus recorded for us in Holy Scripture... Well, then I would guess that many more people in our world today would find themselves in the category of those who are offended by him and what he says. And this is exactly what we see happening in our gospel reading today. In John chapter 6, we actually are struck by two extremes that take place over the entire chapter. One at the very beginning and one towards the very end. At the beginning of the chapter, we hear uh, John recounting the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. 
And this is probably the largest that that crowd ever gets as people are streaming in from the various towns and from the countryside, all to get their own glimpse of Jesus, to be taught by him, to be healed by him, to be fed by him. And after Jesus did feed them, John makes an interesting note in his gospel that the crowds were so pleased with him, so excited that they actually wanted to take Jesus by force and make him a king right then and there. But Jesus withdrew from them because he hadn't come to be a bread king, an earthly king with an earthly kingdom. Instead, he had come to be the true king from heaven, the bread of life who would sacrifice himself for the kingdom that would never fade away. And that's why Jesus then engages with the crowd in this discussion of of who he truly is and why it is that he has come. We've been hearing this discussion actually the past two Sundays and then again today. It was broken up. And so by the end of of John chapter 6, we hear his own disciples, the, the larger group of followers who were with Jesus besides just the 12. Well, they start grumbling against Jesus. Because he wasn't measuring up to their expectations. They were offended by him, scandalized by him, as it literally says in the Greek. And then in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, leaving what seems to be only the twelve at the end of John chapter 6. What started out as thousands upon thousands to now only 12, all in a matter of a single chapter. And so there are only two kinds of people in the world, people who are offended by Jesus and people who believe that he has the words of eternal life. But what caused the offense? What caused these followers to be so scandalized by Jesus that they would turn around and no longer walk with him? Well, as I said, it has everything to do with what Jesus has been saying the past three Sundays, including today. And so that's somewhat difficult to preach in one sermon. But I'd encourage you, honestly, to go back and and open your Bible at home and and read through John chapter 6 again so that you can hear it one more time. But I'll summarize it briefly here. There are four main reasons why the people were so offended by Jesus. First of all, they were more interested in bread than in the bread of life. As I mentioned, Jesus had fed the the 5,000, which was probably more like five times 5,000, if you include all the women and children who were there. And those people wanted to make Jesus a king, but, but not because they understood who Jesus truly was, that he was the Savior who would lay down his life for them. Instead, they wanted to make him a king so that he could keep on doing miracles that benefited them. They wanted a king who could rival Rome and and secure for them positions of privilege. But Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. But the people weren't interested, and so they were offended. The second reason that the people ended up offended by Jesus was that Jesus was claiming to be greater than Moses. Now, Moses was the preeminent prophet for the Jewish people. Moses, after all, had performed the, the sign of the manna in the wilderness. And, and so people assumed that Jesus was falling in line and coming in similar fashion. But you see, Jesus wasn't claiming to be the next Moses. Jesus was claiming to be greater than Moses. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah who was promised to come. Jesus told them that it was not God who provided them bread in the wilderness. It was God. It, it wasn't Moses who provided the bread. It was God. And now God was sending the true bread from heaven. God was sending them the, the bread that would truly endure to eternal life. God was indicating that that manna in the wilderness had always been pointing forward to one who was to come. And Jesus said it was him. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But the people didn't want to hear it. And so they were offended. The third reason that the people were offended by Jesus was the difficult saying that we heard today in our gospel reading. When Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the, of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, obviously, these are difficult words to understand, even for us today. What is Jesus talking about? What does he mean to eat of his flesh and drink his blood. Some people, in a genuine attempt to resolve these difficult words, will jump straight to the Lord's Supper and point to the sacramental presence of Christ's body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine that we find there. And that's not a bad inclination by any means, because the two are certainly related. When Jesus offers his disciples the bread and wine at the Last Supper, he says, this is my body, this is my blood. And it's the night before his body and blood will be given and shed at the cross. So obviously it is all tied together. But here in John chapter 6, is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, maybe not at first. Maybe we shouldn't immediately jump to thinking about the Lord's Supper, at least not yet. You see, the Lord's Supper hadn't been instituted by Jesus yet. Instead, we should seek to understand what Jesus was saying to the people here in this moment. And the key to understand to what Jesus is saying is to remember that he was speaking to a crowd that wanted to eat more of the barley bread that they had received just the day before in miraculous fashion. But instead, 
Jesus is encouraging them to partake of the bread that he would be offering when he goes to Jerusalem. The bread of his own body and blood at the cross. The bread of life giving up his life for the life of the world. In other words, if you believe that life comes from the bread that is here one day and gone tomorrow, it will leave you nothing but hungry day after day. But if you believe that life comes from the bread of life who gives up his own flesh and sheds his own blood for your sake, then you will never be hungry again. Eat and drink this meal, Jesus says. Partake by faith in his flesh and blood, the very nourishment that you need for eternal life. Obviously, this is still a hard saying, as the disciples themselves admit. They weren't used to people talking like this. And what's more, even if they perfectly understood the language that Jesus was using in John chapter 6, were they comfortable with its implications? Think about it. Jesus was saying that he had to go suffer and die, to give up his own flesh and blood, which was the direct opposite of what the crowds following him wanted. They wanted a powerful bread king and a political messiah, not a sacrificial savior. But you see, even that wasn't the final straw. All of this so far had confused the crowds. It made them argue with Jesus. It caused them to grumble against him. And it even caused the disciples to be offended. But you notice something. You notice that no one has left yet. Instead, the fourth and final reason why people were offended by Jesus and what caused most of his followers to turn back and no longer walk with him was the very last thing he said. Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. In Jesus' final statement to that crowd that day, he makes it absolutely clear that saving faith is not our work. It is a gift from the Father. We don't contribute anything to our own salvation. It is God's gracious work alone. And that was what caused people to desert him. From what started out as thousands to what ended up as only a few. And you see, this is so true even for our world today. Why there are only two kinds of people in the world. Why those who are most truly offended by Jesus, as he says, and those who believe he has the words of eternal life. Jesus' primary message is the gospel. The gospel, which means that we can't save ourselves from our sin and our sinful nature. That we can't save ourselves from the power of the devil. That we can't save ourselves from our fallen world that we live in. 
But God in his mercy has given us Jesus who has come to save us. He offers us his body and blood on the cross in place of our own. He promises that all who believe in him will be given eternal life and he will raise them up on the last day. But you see, in order to be saved, you must admit that you need saving. And that's the stumbling block for our world. And so many times it's the stumbling block for us as well. After all, to admit that you need saving means to admit that you aren't always right. That you aren't able to do it on your own. That you are in need of someone else to show you the way. And for people like our, like our culture, people like us who live in a, a society like ours, it prides itself on, on independence and, and strength of self and, and a pull yourself up from the bootstraps kind of mentality. Well, the gospel doesn't fly with that kind of thinking. After all, what messages do we hear in the world around us? Be who you were meant to be. You can do anything that you set your mind to. Everything you need is already within you. And above all, believe in yourself. But what does Jesus say? Be who God made you to be. You can't do anything you set your mind to because of your sin. And that's why you need a Savior. Everything you need is not within you. It's within Jesus. And above all, believe not in yourself, but believe in him, and he will give you eternal life. In our world that loves to justify itself apart from God, these are the most offensive, the most scandalous words you can say. And so when confronted with the real Jesus, with his real wor words, most of the world will turn back and no longer want to walk with him either because there are only two types of people in this world. Those who are offended by him and those who believe he has the words of eternal life. What about us? Which one of those two are you? Well, Jesus turns to the twelve, and he says, Do you want to go away as well? And that's when we hear Simon Peter speak up. Peter often is the one who is acting brazenly, and he usually speaks just fast enough to stuff his foot in his mouth, but not here. Here, Peter is given amazing faith to confess some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. The words that we sing when we get ready to listen to the gospel reading on a Sunday. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, in our lives, we know we are not perfect. We often stumble and fall. We may even struggle with Jesus at times and with his difficult words because our sinful nature is always seeking to prove its independence. We always want to blaze our own trail and show everyone and show God just how strong we are on our own. But this world has a way of bringing us 
to our knees. And sooner or later, we realize that we can't save ourselves and that we have nowhere else to go. And that's when we are given the faith to see. Through the faith that, that God the Father has given us, worked in us in this, with the Holy Spirit, that's when we see the Son, the Holy One of God. When all the rest have, have turned away from him and no longer walk with him, when one of the twelve would even betray him, when the rest of the twelve would scatter like sheep, when he was all alone, Jesus still went to the cross. He didn't go for himself. He went for you. And there he showed you that although you cannot do it on your own, he was willingly he willingly and lovingly sacrificed his own body and blood all for you. The Father gave you Jesus in your baptism. He gives you Jesus every time you hear his word. He gives you Jesus again here today. His body and blood given and shed for you in the Lord's Supper. He has given you faith to believe that there is no place else we need to go for the words of eternal life. And so today we confess with Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.